0: Well, good morning. Uh, Welcome. If you're extended friends and family, if you're here as a guest of somebody else, I do want to just welcome you and glad that you uh, chose to join us or that they drug you to church today. I'll do my best not to scare you off, but we do appreciate that you are here with us this morning. I do have an, an announcement I want to mention Um, We have a missions trip coming up to South Africa at the end of January that spills over into the first part of February. Uh, We've showed videos. I've talked about this in recent weeks. and I do understand that it's not necessarily an ideal time of the year or ideal notice that we've given for that. But this is an excellent, excellent opportunity for you to make a trip down there and assist with some of the work that has to be done and build some relationships there in South Africa. If you have any questions about that or at the least bit interested or interested in how you can help, Owen and Becky Voigt will be hosting a meeting immediately after the service in our office conference room back there in this corner of the building to maybe answer any questions that you have. Owen and Becky, would you just wave real quick so people know who you are? Any questions at all? Any, anything about the trip? If you're even remotely thinking about it, I'm very excited about this. It's a great opportunity, but it really is short notice and not ideal timing but uh, I trust God to lead us in that. So if you're at all interested and have questions, please, please stick around for just a few minutes after the service and um, take, have a visit with them. Merry Christmas. Hey, uh, you got a house full of people? Anybody else? A few of you do. I do. I think half the congregation is staying with me that's here this morning. Uh, I have extended family from Janney's side in town. So uh, it's a great time of the year to visit with friends and family and to have guests and, and to celebrate. And last week I started talking about, you know, as we reflect on what's happening this time of year, I think a lot of times if you really start thinking about it, we have questions. We have questions about why. Why Jesus? Why did... God become man and come in the flesh and die on our behalf why did God why did God even make the world if He knew that it would be broken, and why would he do so if He knew that he needed to sacrifice and uh, why 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 why? why all of these things and we don 't necessarily know the mind of God in all things we don 't understand what he was thinking with some of the things that, that he chose to do, but I do know this when i when I think about what God has demonstrated through salvation and through history is a tremendous love, a love that we wouldn't really fully comprehend and, and still don't, but we have a much better comprehension of the magnificence and the bigness of God's love when we consider what has happened throughout history, things we wouldn't know or understand if they had not gone the way they did. I think God's got a master plan that's beyond our comprehension, and so sometimes we ask ourselves the question, why? We don't necessarily always find the answer, but we can find clues when we read the scripture, when we read the account of mankind and the history of salvation, which is really, I think, what the scripture is, we get clues about why. And so last week, we really dug into why did Jesus come? Why did he have to pay that significant price? Why did the blood have to be shed? Why did he have to become like one of us? While man was made in the image of God, why did God then choose to become in the likeness of men in order to rescue them? And so we examined some of those things, but I really think it came down to this idea, first of all, that it was necessary. We don't know why it was necessary completely, but we know that Jesus himself, even when he was resurrected and he was walking with his disciples to Emmaus and they didn't recognize him and they're they're mourning his loss and they're disappointed that he's died and their concept of the Messiah is no longer being fulfilled, he still says to them, was it not necessary that the Christ suffer? Was it not necessary? There was no other way. And we kind of went, well, why? And it really boiled down to the message last week about two attributes of God, why Jesus, God's love. We all know John three sixteen. hopefully, for God so loved the world. What, did, what motivated God to send his son on our behalf? Love. And why did he have to shed his blood? Because God is just. We look at our own lives and sometimes we feel like we might be more just or more merciful than God because we would let ourselves off the hook for things. But God is completely just. He is totally just. His justice is perfect. And in His just mind, the only proper uh, atonement would be the shedding of blood. We 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 forsake our lives by sinning and rebelling against God. We rebel against the giver of life. Therefore, we pay with life. And yet, Because of God's justice, He stepped in as living perfect and sinless life, as the fulfillment of what we call propitiation, that atonement, that absorbing the justice or the wrath of God. Mankind has been under God's wrath. And we talked about that last week, and it's really very important. And it's the very, what I want to begin to emphasize today, is that is just the beginning. Sometimes we use the analogy of a bridge when we talk about Christianity and mankind is separated from God across this great chasm because of sin, because sin has corrupted and yet God built a bridge through salvation, through Jesus Christ, through the cross, through the shedding of his blood that man might then be reconciled back to God. What is reconciliation? We often use that word in terms of our relationships with one another and when we've, there's been an offense between two people We hope that it can be reconciled and resolved and that relationship can be restored. So something begins to take place when we cross that bridge to salvation. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. Important concepts theologically here. There's some rich things in here if we... Pulled it apart, but it says, For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Because our forefather, Abraham, or Abraham, I'm sorry, Adam, sinned, sin entered mankind. It became part of our heritage. We inherited sin, and through the disobedience of the one man, many were made sinners, all of us. So by the one man's obedience, the many will also be made righteous through the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ, living the sinless life and paying the ultimate price, we might have the opportunity to be righteous. Very important concepts here and very visual understanding of why things have been the way they are. Just through the one came the sin, also through the one came salvation, a righteousness that we could access. Okay, so what are the results then? Okay, we, I want to shift gears away from just that, that sacrifice and that absorbing of the wrath, that concept of salvation that we talked about last week. It's, it's the pivotal moment in our lives when we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we begin to put our faith in Him and we're saved. That We accept that sacrifice, our sins are forgiven, we cross over that bridge. Now what? What then? Is that the whole story? I think sometimes we can get caught in that in our Christianity where everything is just that one, one thing. That we give our lives to Christ, we punch our ticket to heaven, and we go on about our lives living as we always did. And in fact, that's not the case. That there's so much there in front of us to inherit, to receive. What did we inherit? If we walked across that bridge, if we gain that salvation and we step into being one of God's children, what are all the things that are there? Where do we move on from that moment? Did I just punch my free ticket to heaven and then wait till I die? Or are there other parts of this whole thing? Why did Jesus come? Why Jesus? For a lot of significant things that are accessible to us. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. God held nothing back. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things. What does it mean, all things? There are a lot of things. How many of you have an F-150 Ford pickup on your Christmas list? How many things do we have on our Christmas list? We say all things, we think Santa Claus, and we go, all these gifts, like I'm just going to have all this stuff, but it's just stuff. All things is so much more than the material of this life. It's the things that we've inherited in the Spirit through Christ. So much more. It's not just like you get a gift for Christmas and it's just one gift. You got a bag there and you open it up and all that's in it is one chapstick. But when Jesus gave you a gift, He gave you a gift bag full of things. So much more. I'm teasing my mother-in-law there with that joke because somebody just got a chapstick yesterday in their gift. Inside joke. There's so much more to all of this. We talked about reconciliation it is warrants the idea that we talk about adoption. Adoption in our natural place here and now in our culture and society is such a it's a beautiful and challenging thing. You know, people take on the challenge to to raise someone that that they did not give birth to, doesn't necessarily have their DNA and all those kind of things. It can be difficult. And a wonderful, beautiful opportunity for a child. Where maybe they didn't have hope, maybe they have it now with a family. Maybe they weren't going to have a Christmas. They will now because they've been adopted into somebody's family. Adoption is so powerful. Adoption was not something the Jews did. And so when they start talking about adoption back in these days, it would be a challenge to the Jews. It would be understood by the Romans. But the Jews had a heavy emphasis on birthright, and a lot of that was given them by God. It had to do with their genealogy, their race, and all of those kind of things. It was an important part of their framework. In the Roman world... Adoption was common, but not necessarily in the way that we do it now. It would be more like uh, they would often adopt another adult. I mean, I can't. I adopt another adult. I mean, kids are a handful enough. I can't imagine taking on an adult. But they would do it for reasons of inheritance, political reasons, the giving of power, and the transfer of office, and those kind of things. If you've seen the movie Ben Hur. This is kind of what takes place in there, the main character being adopted by the captain that he saved. And when we are adopted into a family, we receive their name. We might not have biologically had the DNA, but we receive that name and we become part of a family. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. See, I'm going to ask you today, I just want to turn on your imagination. When when we're up when when people are preaching and you're receiving information, that's great. Just add it to the informational bank. But what I want you to do today is imagine yourself in these positions. Imagine these words being spoken to you. Imagine how this impacts you. This isn't just information for you to carry around and be smart with. It's something that's meant to help you in your identity and in your understanding and in your relationship with God. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. His classic book, Knowing God, uh, J.I. Packer, who's a theologian I really respect and, and have some of his material, he says, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Father is the Christian name for God. Father is the Christian name for God. Everything stems from this idea that we've become part of a family. Everything stems from that forgiveness that gives us access into the name and being the name in the name of God. Robert Peterson, who's a professor at uh, Covenant Theological Seminary, was asked the question, what does the doctrine of adoption mean? And part of his answer was this. It means that the true and living God, the creator of heavens and the earth, by grace has made believers, members of his family, with Catch this. All the rights and responsibilities that go with that status. You've inherited something. You have. In your adoption into the family of God, taking on that name, you've received all of the rights and all of the responsibilities that go with it. And they're no small thing, they're very significant. I know we talk frequently about, you know, it can be hard to wrestle with that idea of God the Father. And then we think, well, if that's what all of this, our understanding stems from one of those, base, that basic fact. We, we don't, we get uncomfortable because many of us didn't have fathers. Many of us had not great fathers. Many of us had good fathers, but even the good dads don't always do it right. And so our picture of God sometimes is, Informed by that idea of father. And yet, God is our perfect father. He's the dad you never had. He loves you in a way that even your earthly father can't love you and never could. He pays the ultimate price. He makes a way where you could make no way. I hope that comforts some of you this morning. The dad you never had realizing, or even, even, in our, even if we had good dads, there were gaps. There always are. But our Heavenly Father, that's His identity, Father. That's who He is to us. What happens in a relationship like that, a good relationship with your Father? There's communication. It's open communication. It's both ways communication. Unfortunately, during the holidays, we start to feel the sting of those relationships we have that are strained and broken, and families will not get together. They will refuse to be together. We have, you know, we're just broken people, and we have broken lives. So communication doesn't take place, but that's not true with God. In all of His justice and knowledge and understanding and ruling of the universe, He's a Father that you can approach. We talked about this in Hebrews last week. We can approach that throne with confidence. Confidence. You can have confidence to go before your father. Some of you didn't have confidence going before your dad. We can go before our father with confidence, knowing what our heritage is, knowing what we've inherited. Why Jesus? So that you could go before the father, so that you could have this reconciled relationship with the creator of the universe, He is not too busy making the universe operate to not take time to be with you. But we approach Him. We don't risk losing our head from our shoulders like a king of the olden days by going before Him. We have a a high priest and a father who love us so much. How about Jesus calling his his disciples friends. I no longer call you servants but friends. Friends. What did you inherit by becoming part of God's family? He calls you friend. Now, this is one of those moments where I'm like I know you can look at your neighbor and probably think that for them. But can you think that for you? Do you know who you are? Do you realize what you've inherited? What has been purchased for you from God that He would call you friend? Not in a silly, flippant way. He's not your beer-drinking buddy. He's the awesome creator of the universe, and yet your friend. Very powerful, very profound for our understanding. We're not slaves. I think we often see ourselves as the slave of the king of heaven. But we're not slaves. We're sons and daughters. Members of a family. When you're a member of a family, you have an inheritance. Inheritance has been a big deal throughout history. Some of you are spending your kids' inheritance. That was a joke. <laughs> it can be hard to leave an inheritance. But it's a powerful and important thing and it's been a significant thing throughout history. When we, I think when we when we try and ponder these ideas of what we have received um, because of Jesus, many of them are in the spectrum of eternity. Not all of them are in the here and now. And so we tend to think of our lives, we think of, the, we think of our when we were born and it will end when we die. And we kind of just stop there because we don't know what, all what happens beyond there. But I want to challenge you again with your imagination, your thinking. It goes way beyond there. It's just a moment in time. It's just a doorway into next. And so when we consider the heritage that is coming our way, it's so much more than in this life. But we have got to take the time to reflect and contemplate the eternal and big-picture scope of what God has done for us. Your eternity has begun. It doesn't just end on the day that you die. It goes on and on and on and on, and your heritage is within that. It's such an amazing thought. He will swallow up death forever. This is Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, prophesying of the coming of Christ and the ultimate fulfillment that will take place. He will swallow up death forever. I could just stop there and we could all go home, right? He will swallow up death forever that's part of your heritage. That's part of your inheritance. You will see that with your own eyes. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all the faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Again, I can do this third person. I can see him wiping some of your tears away, and I'm like, yeah, go God. But can I see myself having that as my inheritance? Can I see God wiping away my tears? Have I inherited that? Have I inherited that peace, that comfort? Will I see the day that death is swallowed up forever? Yes, you will, according to the scripture, as a follower of Christ. Why, Jesus? To give you that opportunity, to give you that experience. got to apply these to ourselves, and they have to become our reality. I am the prodigal. I can pray that about all the other prodigals I know, but I'm the prodigal. Can I see myself in that story that Tyler taught us on a couple weeks ago? I squandered my inheritance. I was given the gift of life. I've rebelled against God sinfully, but I can go back to the Father, and He can put His ring on me again, and I can put on His robe And I become a member of his family. I went to him with the idea saying, I'll just be a servant in your house. Let me just be with the servants. He says, No, you're a son. Wear my ring. Put on my robe. That's what God has done for you. Why, Jesus? That you could have that experience. That you could receive that heritage. The good and faithful servant. I hope that will be me someday. And I know by the scripture it will be, even though I don't deserve it and I've never earned it. What about the new heavens and the new earth that God says he's going to do in the end? You will see that with your own eyes. Can you put yourself in that position to comprehend what Jesus has done for you? Do it. Ponder it. Reflect on it. That is part of my heritage. That's part of what I will see. That's part of what I will experience. Oh, man. So worth celebrating, isn't it? Why did Jesus come to the earth? A lot of good reasons. And a lot of things that you and I inherit because of that. He bore that wrath on the cross, and he gave us the opportunity to have an ongoing powerful and effective relationship with God that goes on and on and on. Another thought I had, and I'm only scratching the surface of some of this stuff. How about being free of guilt? If I've been forgiven of sin, I'm free of the guilt. I like the analogy of the acquittal. I've been acquitted. Some of you have had to stand before a judge. It's not very fun. I've had to stand before a judge. It's not very fun. You're at the mercy of the judge and the prosecutor, the accuser. I stand before the judge, and I have lots of reasons I should go to jail or whatever your situation is. You can at least imagine it. They put it on TV for entertainment for you. Judge Wapner, remember? The People's Court. We're entertained by these things. We watch them on TV. We see big cases. People are guilty or not guilty and they get acquitted or they go to jail. Someday I'm going to stand there and I'm going to know that I was guilty. But the judge will say, not guilty. Not guilty. I can picture myself walking out of that courthouse. I don't think it'll really be a courthouse when I stand before God someday. But i not guilty. Just, oh... Relief. You ever confess something or finally get something off your chest and you can just breathe a little better? I think it'll be that way. Because you will be acquitted. Because Jesus took your place. I will stand there. I will hear it. I will be acquitted. You too. Can you picture that? Can you imagine? Can you celebrate what an awesome thing God has done for you? Here's some powerful scriptures, and again, please consider yourself in this. His master will say to him, Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And we go, yeah, good for that guy. I'm glad that happened for that guy. Who is that guy? It's you. Well, wait, I haven't been faithful over <laughs> much at all. I haven't been faithful with what you've given me. But for those who are trusting in Christ for our righteousness, we will hear those words. Come. Share the joy of your master's happiness. Then the king will say to those on his right, Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Again, this is Jesus talking. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Wait, what? Again, you have to be able to picture God saying this to you. Who am I going to pick on? Pal? Come and enjoy what has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Well done, good and faithful servant. Can you hear those words? Can you see yourself in that situation? Like, I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. How could that possibly be my inheritance? How could I hear that? But that's you. There's one thing, man, that carries me a lot. I've shared this at different times with different people. I'm like, you know, when you get caught up in the stress of what life and everything going on and, oh, uh, am I good enough and all those things and all, I just get some peace when I go, someday I'm going to stand there and he's going to go. Come and join in your master's happiness. What? That's mine? That's your heritage. That's your inheritance. Why Jesus? So that you could have that. He paid an awful price for a wonderful gift that you get to enjoy. Jesus said to his disciples, And hear this for you. You have a room in the Father's house. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Oh, he's prepared a place for you already. Maybe he's still working on it, I don't know. Uh, visiting with a friend this week, he had to go into surgery and They had a moment where he kind of reflected on it and thought, I might not wake up from this. There's always a risk. And he thought, oh, if I wake up, I'll see Jesus if I don't make it through this. And I thought, yes, that is it. We can have a peace and assuredness that what awaits us is a loving Father who's prepared a place for us. And we can... Join in on our master's happiness. Fortunately, he woke up um, to a nurse over him and realized it wasn't Jesus and figured he was good to go. So, what a, what a, that's, that's, that's it. That's it. You've inherited that confidence to have that opportunity to have that confidence. That's so awesome. Here's another thing that you inherited transformational power of the Holy Spirit has been given to you. God God didn't just get us benefits that we could enjoy, and I'm so glad He did, but He also breathed His life into us. His Spirit is all over the earth and in every one of you. God Himself is in you. He's around you. He's holding all these things together. And He's given us this powerful transformational work of the Holy Spirit that when we accept that sacrifice and the wrath is absorbed for us, we move on to a life of transformed and transformational living in ourselves and in the people around us. It's very, very powerful what God has done by giving us His Holy Spirit. Jesus Himself said, It's to your benefit that I go away so that the Holy Spirit could come. So he could go to the Father and ask him to fulfill that promise that he could breathe that power into all mankind. That because the wrath has been absorbed for us, we now are able to receive that breath of God in us. And there's so much we could talk for weeks about this stuff. It's so good. But there's a rebirth that takes place there. The scripture calls it being born again. We're not born again in a fleshly way, but there's an inner transformation, a rebirth that takes place that is spiritual. Jesus replied, talking to Nicodemus, this is John chapter 3. Truly, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. There has to be this transformational process. There has to be that sacrifice made and accepted that that power of the Holy Spirit can come and transform our lives. It's so significant. And think of that. You know, we, we talk about, it's sometimes a little bit, you know, we know that, w- that when we die, we will be free of all the stuff, all of the difficulty of this life and the pressure and the stress and the brokenness of our bodies and all those kind of things. Death, in some ways, will relieve us of all of those kind of things. And yet, you can already be born the second time. You already can leave that all behind in the power of Christ. That, that rebirth isn't just metaphorical. There's a very real transformation that takes place in us. Why Jesus? That we could experience that transformation and be born again. And in that transformation, we're transformed throughout. Yes, we are, our heels are always being dogged by sin and brokenness, and it will until the, until the new heavens and the new earth. But even now, there's transformational power at work. And be transformed in our mind. Hey, we had that mental health series we just went through. We could use some transformation in the mind. We could use some just fresh air there. My brain doesn't breathe, but it does kind of, but never mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. By the renewal of your mind. We are called to transform. Our minds are called to transform. Our inner being, our inner man, our soul is called to transform. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's a transformation in us that needs to take place and is constantly taking place. We need to embrace that. Why did Jesus die? So that we could experience that. How about we experience it? Instead of just punching our ticket to heaven and going on about our lives in a regular way, How about we begin to invite the power of God to transform our lives? And that day by day and step by step, we walk in the calling that God has put on us to be his children in the earth today. I want to embrace that transformational change. I certainly could always need continual transformation in my mind. Not only that, I think I need a new body. Philippians chapter 3. Some of you are thinking, Amen. You know, my hip hurts today. My knee hurts. I'm not quite as young as I used to be. All those kind of things. Praise God that someday we get a new body. Because this one's corrupted. It's corrupted by sin. It dies because of it. But our citizenship is in heaven. Sweet. And from it, we await a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to even subject all things to Himself. A very powerful thing will take place. Let's read a little bit more about it. I have part of the scripture here from 1 Corinthians up here for you. I'm going to read a little more than you will have up there. But it says, Paul is writing, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep... Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? That's your heritage. That's your inheritance. That's what Jesus has done for you. That someday you will rise in an imperishable body that someday you and I will say these words and be able to mean them completely because the sting of death is very real in our lives. And yet we have a hope, something more and beyond. And then in the day when this all wraps up, we, I could just imagine us cheering and singing this. In fact, the Bible says the final enemy to be destroyed is death, as if it were a being. It's pretty interesting in the book of Revelation. And we will say these words, Death, where is your sting? It's over. (laughs) It's all done. It's finished. The new heavens and the new earth are here. Death has no sting anymore. The tears are wiped away. A fully restored relationship with our creator and master and father has happened. That's you. That's you. That's why we celebrate Jesus. For what he has afforded us the opportunity to participate in. When I consider all of these things... All of these benefits, all of what was afforded to us because of Jesus, I can truly see how someone can find themselves at peace regardless of what's going on in the world around them. If I can stop and, and get more of a bird's eye view and see all of the heritage as a follower of Christ that is mine, suddenly my momentary trivial trials don't mean as much. They're very real and painful but suddenly I can have peace in the midst of them because I know what's coming, because I know what my heritage is, because I know how this turns out, that one day I will be able to hear those words from him or I will be the one saying, where is your sting? Ah, such a wonderful heritage you have. What a great inheritance to look forward to. When we think of those fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of a sudden those seem much more graspable. (laughs) That's a word. It's a word now, graspable. When you can contemplate the significance of what's been done on your behalf. All of a sudden I can grasp that if I can really make it my reality and my understanding. We're going to take communion now. And as we do, as we celebrate and remember what Jesus has done for us, somehow in your heart, or if you do it out loud or whatever, as we do go through this process, praise God. Praise Him. Praise Him for what He's done for you. Praise Him for that inheritance that is yours. Praise Him for that price He paid on the cross. Praise Him for all of those things that are yours. They're very worth praising Him for. Communion began... On the annual celebration of Passover, when Jesus and his disciples uh, took bread and drank wine, just as Israel was celebrating the sacrifice of the Passover, which was a remembrance of the angel of death passing over them in Egypt. So now, believers in Jesus celebrate and remember his sacrifice uh, and when he died on the cross. Communion is used uh, as a symbol, the bread being the body of Christ, The wine being the blood of Christ, representing what he did. The act of communion does not save us, but is an act of worship. It's an act of remembrance. In John chapter 6, it's Jesus speaking. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. And his was the blood that was shed. The account of the last supper in Luke 22 is like this. Beginning in verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So these two little symbols right here that you hold are just an opportunity for us to soberly and sincerely reflect and consider what has happened on our behalf and why we have such a great inheritance. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that 2,000 years ago, you sat in the upper room with your apostles and you did this. And we today celebrate it as a reminder of what you were about to do on the cross in that moment. Lord, we recognize that the price you paid and the wrath you bore was nothing insignificant, but afforded us the most magnificent opportunity and future our eternity awaits. And we're so grateful for that, for you so loved that you gave. Father, we're grateful. Today, we remember you. We remember you. We remember what you've done. We celebrate that. And I pray that you would bless each one today as they take of this communion and reflect upon what you have done for them. You are a good, good father. You made a way where there was none. And in doing so, have somehow achieved, demonstrating to us the most magnificent love, we wouldn't know it otherwise. Somehow that's all cleverly woven into your master design. I don't understand it, and I don't always understand why. But I bless you and praise you, Lord, for what you've done for all of us. Lord, I pray as Christmas continues on this week for all of my friends and family that are here today, all of those that have joined us. Lord, I pray you would bless them. Lord, I pray that they would enjoy peace in their hearts and homes. Lord, that communication would be good, that relationships even would grow or be restored. Father, that you would work out amazing things for your children as they celebrate you and what you've done for us. Thank you for becoming like one of us, that you would sympathize with us, Lord. We're so grateful. Praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.